greatest. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Last time we looked at this verse, we looked at the first part. I love that. Finally, you know, that's a great preacher uh, fake out. Finally, and then you go another hour, you know. Finally, we're going to you know, keep going. That's what Paul did in, in Philippians, four chapters, chapter three. He says, finally, my brethren, and then he goes on for two more chapters. I'm not going to fake you out, but finally, Paul is bringing the book of Ephesians to conclusion. And he does so in such a, and really in verse 10, he's really summarizing chapter one. Now, we've been looking at the strategies of Satan. We spent a lot of time doing that and looking at how he operates. And, and what I'm trying to do with you is quickly and as few verses as possible bring you to an understanding of the provisions that we have in Christ. And verse 10 does that. Finally, my brethren, and again, my brethren, the whole of it, the whole group, the book of Ephesians, he talks, starts out talking to the saints and to the faithful, two groups of people there at Ephesus. And now it's everybody. Finally, my brethren, all. What are we going to do? We're going to be strong in the Lord. Your strength comes from the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to stand fast in that grace. That's what 2 Timothy 2, verse 1 says. He says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the Lord. Your strength does not come from your own energy and your own effort. Because some days you don't feel like having any effort or, or energy. He never lets you down. He never fails you. He never disappoints you. You disappoint you. <laughs> I was telling Linda, we were talking here just the other day about our schedule and trying to shore it up and get a little more tighter, you know, because it's like it just getting sick out two weeks just threw everything to the wind. And I'm like, you got to get this back, you know. And why? Because we, we have, we're doing it ourselves. And what are we doing? We're failing immensely. And all I can look at is the calendar to go to January so we can nuke, start all over. Our strength is where? In the Lord. Your strength, your stability, your comfort, your capacity to get through the things of life, to endure through them that come up. Ecclesiastes song, Solomon says, time and chance happens to everybody. Paul will tell you that the tribulations, troubles that come in are common to man. When all of that dumps down on you in life, you're never going to get through it on your own. You're going to get through it in who you are in Christ. That comfort, that stability comes from you understanding who you are in Christ. Who has God the Father made you in his son? So Paul goes back. Go back to chapter 1, what we did last time. And this is going to be this morning, by the way, uh, 610 real quick, sorry. This morning we're going to look at the second part of that verse and in the power of his might. And there's a provision there as well. And guess what? It's chapter 1 again. So go back to chapter 1. We're going to bleed into this, and we're going to see the issue of his power, of his might, and that secondary provision, no less than the first one, but you can't get to the second one until you got the first one in your mindset, in your understanding. Who am I? Verse 3. You see, when trouble and difficulties and the trials of life come, none of that can change the reality of who God has made you in his son. I know people who get saved, 
We sit down, try to show them a little how to study the Bible, and they reject it. All they want is to know that they're not going to hell. They don't want anything else. And you know what you do? Okay, well, when that changes, here's my number. Give me a call. Now, let's just say that they go out and the bus runs them over. Where are they? They're in heavenly places. They're sitting there with the Lord. They're in the, absent from the body, present with the Lord. See? They, he doesn't deny that because you're in his son. You're sealed with the spirit. You're there. You just don't quite understand what all that means, what's it into. So when we begin to understand who we are in Christ, then when life just backs up the big 18-wheeler dump load truck on you all over, you just sit there and go, yeah, okay, life is life. Because it doesn't change the reality of who God has made us in his son. Chapter 1, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch what the Father is doing here. The, the all spiritual blessings are given to us by the Father. Okay? Then down in verse 7, look at verse 7. In whom? Well, who's that? Accepted in the beloved. Who's the beloved? The Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what the Father is doing through, the, through his Son for you. Okay? Now verse 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye were, ye, uh, I'm sorry, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy, that Holy Spirit of promise. Now you're going to see what the Father is doing to you through the Holy Spirit. Okay? So you got the Godhead activity here. And what are they doing? They're blessing you with all spiritual blessings. Their activity, their movement of the Godhead. The moment you trusted Christ, the moment you said, I do to Calvary, to the shed blood, his death, his burial, and resurrection. Once you trusted that, not, not know it, but you believed it. See, you can know a lot of things, but you got to believe it. He says un un that the, the, the riches of Christ, the gospel, it's unto all. But it's only upon them that what? Believe. You believed it. You know what he did to you? He did, he did a, what Colossians calls the operation of God. He put you on the operating table and he went to work on your inner man. And he, made, he, do, he creates that new man in you, that new creature. And he says, listen, what you need to understand is you're blessed with how many of the blessings? You know what that means? That means I'm not lacking any of them. I didn't miss out. There isn't another set over here that he's going to say, ah, I got these for you if you just do. He says, no, I, I, I front-loaded you with all the benefits. The only benefit we don't have yet, that's that new body. But that requires his activity to get. But what did he give us? He gave us all spiritual blessings. But where? In heavenly places? Where? In Christ. So chapter 1, verse 3 to 7, we went through it last time. We're not going to do that again this morning. Otherwise, we won't get out here until 1, and I'd like to get done at noon, okay? Amen? Amen. All right? By the way, everybody on the Internet, everybody said amen, okay? All right? But verses 3 through 7 is a review of the book of Romans. Everything that we learn in the advanced doctrine of, of Ephesians starts with the basis of the foundation of Romans. We're 150, 151 lessons in our study in the first hour in the book of Romans. 
we probably have another 50 to 75 more to go. And we're in Romans 15. Okay? Now, whoa, why, why so much? It took us four years to study the book of Luke. Why so much? Because there's a found, Romans is that foundation. You've got to have that. Because so what does he do? He walks you right down. Now, in verse 8, watch verse 8. Because in verse 8 and following, here is a new download. Here's a new update. Here's new information that he's never revealed before until now. Verse 8, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Now we get some new information. Now we're going to have a description of his will. We're going to have a description of the eternal plan that God had from Genesis 1-1 all the way down. Here's this plan. Verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. He has a plan. Here's the, here's the plan of his will. His will is not a mystery anymore. It's been revealed. Hold on to here. Come over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. You see, he's made known. Notice that when he says there, having made known unto us. How did God make that known to us? Well, he wrote a book, didn't he? It's very fascinating. How, if I'm going to let you get to know me, what do I have to do? I have to speak to you. I have to talk to you. I have to let you in. You know what God did? He says, I'm letting you in, and here it is. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All Scripture is what? Is given. Do you know that everything that we need to know, everything that God has for you to know, is here in His book? Everything you need to know to do everything that God would have you to do is in the book. It's all been revealed, it's all been made known. He's not holding out additional information somewhere, waiting for you to get there. It's all been made known he's communicated it all all scripture is given he's communicated it in his word when we don't understand that when we don't believe that then guess what now you're in trouble because you have no way to authoritatively identify what god's doing follow that it's important you get out in the world, the world tells you a whole bunch of stuff. You want to know God? Come over here and get underneath this palm tree. <laughs> you want to know God? Come over here and get underneath this rock. And it's like, wait a minute. How do I know where God is? It's in his scripture, all scripture. Come back to Ephesians 1. And my point is, is if I'm going to know that God has made known unto me the mystery of his will, his plan, that, the purpose, the intent, verse 10, 110, that, here's what the plan is, then I'm going to have to go to where? His word. So i got to have it and get into all the Bible issues and so forth. That's why, by the way, that's why the Bible is an issue. Because it's where I get what God's telling me that I need. Everything I need, he's delivered to me. Now, he's not waiting for you to get to heaven and say, okay, you got volume one, here's volume two. There's a creaky idea out there. That there's another. No, there isn't that at all. All scripture, if, if that's the case, then all scripture's a lie. And let's sell the buildings and go home and have a wonderful rest of our lives. No, all scripture is given. 
Now, in eternity future, as you and I sit in our heavenly places in our positions of governmental rank and rule and authority up there, you're going to continue to learn. Don't get me wrong. You're not going to be stuck here at whatever. You're going to learn. You're going to grow. That's how you're going to give him glory for the ages to come. But for now, what, I got everything here. So when I come into my life, into the details of what I'm doing, and I'm going to think about what the Father is doing and what the grace of God would have me do, I come right here to his word, rightly divided. And you know what I quickly find out? I quickly find out that he's got a plan, and he's made me a part of that plan. Verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one things, in one, all things, sorry, in Christ, both which are in heaven. There's us. There's the church, the body of Christ. The agency he's forming right now. And which are on the earth. There's Israel. There's the believing remnant, the little flock, the true Israel of God. All that God's doing, all of the plan of the Father is to put all of it back under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to do that through what he has accomplished at Calvary. Because Calvary means something for Israel and her redemptive program, and Calvary means everything to the rest of us. Follow that? That's where he's at. Verse 6, notice, just notice some things here. To the praise of the, what? The glory of his grace. There's the Father. Verse 12. That we should be to the praise of his, what? Glory. Who first trusted in who? Christ. There's the activity of the Son again. Verse 14. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Unto the praise of his glory. There's the Holy Spirit working again. What are we doing here? What's his grace trying to accomplish? How about the praise of his glory? He's got a plan. We've got a, we're going somewhere. Now in verse 15, he changes gears. Okay? Wherefore I say, wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now he's going to begin to pray for them. And it's very interesting. What did he just do in the first 14 chapters? Uh, first 14 verses. He's teaching them, isn't he? He's reminding them. He's educating them. And then as soon as he gets the teaching into them, he turns around and prays for them. The word and prayer go hand in hand. The teaching, and again, I know we get some quirky ideas out there about prayer, being God a big vending machine in the sky, and if I dump enough faith quarters in him, I'll get what I want, and it'll fall on me out of this. You know, and it's not that at all. Prayer in Scripture Okay, is taking the scripture that God has delivered in the moment and trusting that. You look at Israel. When Israel is to pray, ask and you'll get it. Seek and you'll find. That isn't just any old time. That's literally the time of the 70th week of Daniel that he's talking about. See, we get this idea, if I got enough, if I can just muster up the faith of a mustard seed, I get it. No, man, you just yank that right out of its context. It has nothing to do with you, first of all. 
Second of all, it has nothing to do with right then. It's a future event where they're going to sit there and have that. But what are they doing in the 70th week? That little flock is operating in the word of God to them. As they come and they pray and they pour out their heart to the Father about, hey, this is what's going on. How do I apply this to the details of my life? Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 sits there and says he's got that thorn in the flesh. Three times he asked for that booger to move. You know what the Lord said? And he said unto me. Five words Paul says. I'd re- I love that, Paul. I'd rather I'd speak 10,000... I'd rather speak five words to you than any of that other mess. And he said unto me, what's the word of God say to you in the situation of life that you're dealing with? Now, to Paul, in the moment, he said, my grace is sufficient and so forth. And and he does say that to you and I, too. Don't get me wrong. But, man, when you're sitting here thinking about the details of life and how to you know, how, how do you whack that kid without killing him? I raised three. I know the moments. And he said unto me, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Don't kill, you know. My dad always told me that, always says, uh, grandkids are your reward for not killing your kids. I don't have them yet, so I'm, but he's been right about a lot of other things, so I'll let it be that that's what is right. Okay? But what, do you, how, what does the word of God say to you? Here, today, in the age of grace. So what does, the prayer, what does prayer say? What does the word say? Verse 17. That. He's praying for him. That. The reason, the purpose of the prayer. That. Now watch what he prays for him here. Now, by the way, just Paul is in jail when he writes this book. He's not asking for a jailhouse break. He had one, Acts 16, with the... Philippian jailer. By the way, he didn't go very far. <laughs> He's, but can God open the jail doors? Well, sure. But that isn't what Paul prays for. He doesn't ask for deliverance. He doesn't ask for the lawyer to do his job. He doesn't ask for the, the judge to get a headache and have to go home today. He doesn't ask for any of that. What does he say? That. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch. The Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believed according to the working of his mind. Look at what Paul prayed for. Paul's praying for something very specific here, isn't he? He's praying for what I just taught you to come alive and to work and to operate and to function in your life because you know some things. Look at verse 17. By the way, uh, well, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. See that Father of glory? The plan that that the Godheads has has a name. It's called glory. He's the father of glory. He's the one that birthed glory. He's the source of glory. We all understand that. We all have, if you're alive today, you had a father. He gave, you know, and a mom. That's how it works. Sorry. I'll be banned from TikTok or YouTube or whatever. Whoop-de-doo. 
Okay, but so what is he? He's the one that birthed. He's the one that brought forth the idea of glory. The one where the plan for glory came from. And he says, listen, you need to be strong in the who you are in Christ. Be strong in the Lord. And you need to be strong over here in the power of his might. There's something over here that you need to understand. There's something over here that you need to have some power in. And it's in the plan that I have. And the plan's called glory. To the praise of his glory. It's his plan. Now, let me, I said this earlier, you don't give God any more glory than God already has. Okay? He's God. He's got the glory. I mean, it's like saying, I'm going to add sun to the sun. Huh? Okay. You know, or the one I like is uh, I'm going to add wetness to water. Now we're in the great debate if is water even wet. <laughs> now you're off on that. No, what is, no, you're not adding glory. It's his plan. It's him. It's who he is. And look at what he says. By the way, in 610 there about the power, that power, that word power, we're going to see it here. In verse 19, his power. That word power can be taken two ways. One, the ability to do something. And then two, the strength to do it. And the great illustration is a judge and the sheriff. The judge has the power, the authority to invoke the fine. The sheriff doesn't have that power. But what but the judge doesn't have the power to do what? Collect. Who's got that power? The sheriff does. Okay? They both have power. One to do one and one to do the other. You and I, what are we going to be doing? We're, gonna, we're in the power of his might. We're in the authority of who? Of him. Why? Because where are we found? We're in him. We're accepted in the beloved. We've been forgiven in him. When God the Father looks at you, he sees his son. He doesn't see all that other. He sees your son. Why? Calvary covered all that. He sees you in his son. So what does he say? Verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of of him. The knowledge of, of who? The knowledge of who the Father is. Who is the Father here? What's he doing? Notice that very carefully in that verse. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit and wisdom and knowledge and, the, and, uh, um, and revelation and the knowledge of who? Him, that your eyes of your understanding may be uh, being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, not your calling. Who's calling? His calling. I, I, I love that. You, you just read through this. Think about this. The knowledge of him. Here's who the Father has made you in Christ. You need to understand that. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Boy, that is fantastic. He's not looking for you to win the Powerball. He's not looking for you to have health and wealth and everything taken care of. He says, no, in those moments of all that, who are you to know? You're to know him. And who you are in him. The provisions here. Your understanding. 
that, your eye, that the eyes of your understanding. Where does understanding come from? You guys know, you know a little verse. I put it in the thing there, Psalms 119. You know a little verse back here. Psalms 119 and verse 130. The entrance of thy words giveth life. It giveth understanding unto the simple. So where am I going to get the light? Where am I going to get my enlightenment? I'm going to get it from the word, rightly divided. Come back to Ephesians 1. You see, he's, he's want, he, Paul is pressing here that you need to get to know something. And when he says that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, you get to know it where the light bulb goes off. Have you ever had one of those moments when you go, whoa, wow, look at that. You know, heavens open, angels sing, fall down. You know, It's like, wow. Where's that been all my life? Well, it's been right there on the page. You just, now you get to see it. That's the enlightenment. In verse 17, he talks about the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the not. You see that thing about spirit? That isn't the Holy Spirit, okay? One, in verse 13 and 14, you already got the Holy Spirit. By the way, it's in, in verse 13, it's the spirit with a capital S. In verse 17, it's a little spirit. It's the spirit. It's, in other words, it's, it's attitude. It's in, you know, the spirit of slumber and the spirit of meekness and the spirit of the, you know, it's about attitude. And the attitude here, the attitude that comes when you have the wisdom and the revelation of God's truth. He's given it all to us. When you have that, in your understanding, when you understand what God's doing, that will put an attitude in your heart of confidence, of peace, of hope. And that's what Paul says, I want you to have that in your life because God has provided that for you. That's why verse 18, what does he say? I want you to know. Know something. You see, God has designed all of these provisions to impact your life. When you take them off the pages and you put them into your inner man and then you turn into the details of life and you do what the verses have taught you to do, it impacts your life. That's why we say read three chapters a day through Romans of Philemon. Oh, but Rick, that's not enough. No, that's simple because you can read it in a month. If you read Paul's epistles in a, a month, three chapters a day, you'll have read them 12 times in the year. About the fourth month, your thinking will be radically altered and changed. You're not studying them. You're not running rabbit trails. You're, not, you're just reading because what's happening? The word of God effectually worketh in you that believe. It begins to change you to know. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know, verse 18. You know the wonderful thing? Your Christian life, folks, does not operate on the basis of ignorance. It won't. You have to know something. And the only way to know is for God to tell you, and he has. That you may know. 
you got it. The key to the grace life, folks, is the key to the Christian life is knowing. So the time that you spend in your life studying the word is not a waste of time. All that other stuff out there is. We sing that first song, I know I'm seated in heavenly places. and that, He goes, I'm an ambassador for Christ, for Jesus. As an ambassador, you know what my job is as an ambassador? Is to go out and to speak what he would have me to speak. And you know what he has me to speak? Grace and peace. That's what he has me to speak. Not all this other stuff that fills up life. Grace and peace. I'm to go out there and I'm to tell the world that God is not angry with them. He's not mad at them. He died for them. That's my job. But I can't get there unless I what? Know something. What am I going to know? What is the hope of his calling? Isn't that interesting? Who's calling? Your calling? No. His calling. It's his calling. It's not your calling. It's he Now, when he takes you and he puts you in his son, you become a joint heir with Christ. Now it's what? Now it's your calling. But it first started out as who? His calling. By the way, it's the hope of his calling. Isn't it great to have hope? Man, to have that wonderful expectation of that future event out there that's coming. And if the Lord tarries, I know I'll be absent from the body and I'll be present with the Lord. And if the Lord comes back, I know immediately everything's good to go and we're rocking and rolling. That's what great hope. You know, the box fell down in the garage, hit me on the head. Oh, great. Woohoo, praise the Lord. Yeah, I didn't say that. You know better. The box hit me in the head. No, what? You you just move on. Hope. It's his calling. Keep reading. Verse 18. And what the riches of of the glory of his inheritance, where? In the saints. Notice, he's going to inherit some things through his saints. Again, what does he inherit? Chapter 1, verse 10, what's he inheriting? All the governmental structure, the spiritual, um, all the things in Christ, both which are in heaven and earth, all that governmental uh, structure he set up in the universe there. He's back. He's going to use Israel. He's going to use the body of Christ. We're a part of the program, folks. That's rich. The riches of his inheritance. Now, do you think if you understood all of that in its greater detail, and we're not getting into all that today, okay? I'm just looking at the provision with you. You get into studying out how rich you are and, and how rich, actually, how rich he is. what his hope of his calling is, you know what you're going to create real quick? An attitude. You're going to have an attitude. And it's going to be an attitude of hope, of confidence, of stability, of comfort, of an understanding of wealth. In the midst of life, no matter what the adversary, no matter what the course of the world brings, no matter what comes our way, you know what we're to know? We're to know this. This is what's to be on our mind. This is what is to be. No matter what, it doesn't change the reality of who you are in Christ. That's where our strength is. And that's where our power is. Authority. Might. 
not only the authority to do, but the authority to get it done. Verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us? Again, his power, his hope, his calling, his inheritance. You see, this isn't talking about you. It's talking about what the Father has provided for you in his Son. So when the adversary, because we're in Ephesians 6, we're going to get into a stand fast and we're going to get into a, a battle, a conflict with the adversary. What am I looking for? My own resources or the resources that he's provided for me? Because if you stand in your own resources, look at what happened to Eve. He got it. But if you stand in the resources of who you are in Christ, he'll never get, you'll, you'll be able to quench the fiery dark power, the exceeding greatness of his power, not mine, it's his power. Now watch the standard of the power, watch the measure of the power, verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now stop there because there's an and, so there's a second part. First foot, look at the standard of the power for us today, it's what? Resurrection, when Christ was what? Raised from the dead. By the way, who raised him from the dead? The Father did. The standard for power in the Old Testament, in Israel's program, is the issue of the Exodus. When they come out of Egypt, think about that. They're in Egypt. They're underneath. God's going to take them out of Egypt. He's going to pull them out of, from underneath satanic captivity. So what does he do? First he goes in and he destroys the ten gods of Egypt, lays them waste, the ten plagues. Bam, boom, they're done. Why does he do that? So that the world out there knows that he's who? God. You know how you know that? Rahab said it to the two spies. We've heard about your God. <laughs> and you can just come on in here, big guy. I got, a, I got the stews on for you guys. Let's go. And she claims the Abrahamic covenant. What did he do? He then goes in and he delivers Israel takes her out, crosses over that Red Sea. And the moment that Pharaoh, the adversary, gets close and gets in there, what does he do? He uses water to destroy them. Bam, gone. Moses looks at Israel and says, See your salvation. How are they saved? By blood, the blood on the doorpost, and by power. Their deliverance is by blood and power. Now that's the standard for, of power all through the scripture till you get to Paul. And for you and I, it's what Christ accomplished at Calvary, but it's that, I mean, think about him at Calvary. He takes on the, all the mess that is sin, all the mess that sin produces. And what did he do? He died. Under the load and the weight of your sin, he died. And then God raised him from the dead. The standard that we're to live by, the power that we're to live in, is this issue of the power over sin. That's why in Romans 6, it's, he spends so much about you're dead to sin. You've been set free from sin. You've been made free from sin. You that are dead are freed 
It's got a D on the end of that word from sin. It's been, you don't let, sin doesn't have dominion over you. Why? Because I'm not underneath that old program. I'm underneath grace, the new program. And what did he do? He set me free. He's got the power to do that. Hebrews, he talks in Hebrews about he's got the power now of death and hell. He's got the keys, the authority. He has it. Why? Because Calvary. And Paul comes in and says, you want to see the standard of power is look at what he did. He was raised from the dead. And I'll just say to you, if you want to live a defeated life today in any circumstances, it's on you. It's not on him. He set you free from it. It's on you. You've chosen to do that. I encourage you not to do that. <laughs> now, Ephesians 1.20, there's a little word and. So just as Israel had blood and power, what do we have? Resurrection and power. And set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power, and might, and dominion, and every name that's named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Look at the power. He's, he died. He's resurrected. And what does the Father says, I'm going to set you at my right hand in the heavenly places. When he raised him, he just took him right on up to one more spot and said, this is your seat now. This is where you're going to sit from. If you drop down into chapter 2 and look at verse 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places where? In Christ. We share in that authority. We share in that power that the Father gave His Son in the heavenly places. This is who you are. The principalities and powers and mights and dominions and the thing in, and, and every other name that's named in the passage in, first, in Colossians 1.16, the thrones and all that, all of that, that governmental structure of the universe, of the heavenly places. It's here on the earth. We can see it. It's visible. But in the invisible, and he says, you're you, you're in my son. You're sealed, you're blessed, you got everything, you're complete, and I'm going to take you, and I'm going to sit us together. Look, think about that. Sit us together. Made us sit together, sorry. And I'll catch, you, I'll catch that word made again. <laughs> made is the, it's a very fascinating word in Paul's language. He was made to be sin. Who what? Knew no sin. So that word made, what did he do? He took you who were ungodly, enemy, sinner, weak, enemy. I said that one. Say it again. Enemy. No good, dirty dog, rotten to the core, and he died for you. And he says, all you got to do is trust me, believe me. And then he comes over here and he makes you something that you're not, which is righteous. So the made, he's taking something that's this and putting it into something that it was never designed to be. Here's Christ, no sin, 
made to be something that he was never intended to be. What's he doing with you and I? Who are we? We're dirt people. We're man. We're humanity. We belong on the earth. But what does 2.6 say? Where are we going? We're seated together where? In heavenly places. What's he going to do to you and I? He's going to change this vile body and fashion it like unto the glorious body of our Savior. And now we're going to do what? We're going to be able to, we have a new body. We're a new man. We're a new creature. Function in the heavenly place. Boy, what a provision. What power. Verse 23, 123, which is his body. Notice, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. There's so much in all this. It take take literally in studying it out, take us a couple years. But just kind of catch this. Verse 22. Hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things. Notice it doesn't say of the church. It says to the it's our, it's to our advantage that the Father did this for the Son and with the Son. It's to our advantage. It's to our provision. It's to our. And then he says, and then he's going to take you, verse 23, and he's going to fill it all up with you. Woohoo! No. I don't want to do that, preacher. No, man, it's wonderful. That's great. Verse 7, 2-7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward you. Toward who? You. Through who? Through Christ Jesus. You know what's going to happen? He's going to take you over the ages, plural. Not just one, but multi, the rest of eternity. And, and the exceeding riches of his grace is just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know who he's using? You. And you look over there. You know, no wonder Paul says to the Corinthians, just... Look at who you are. Not many noble, not many wise. <laughs> He's using you. He's provided this for you. Come with me to Colossians 2, real quick. On your way, get Colossians 1, Colossians 2. That's some power, folks. That's a great provision. He's provided for us. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Be strong. Stand in who you are in Christ. And in the power of his might, in the power of the plan. The plan. Heavenly places, the plan. Colossians 2, verse number 15. Think about this. When Jesus Christ died and rose again, what was accomplished? 2.15. And having what? Spoiled. When you spoil something, it's not leaving it out on the counter overnight, okay? We're talking military. There was a battle that raged on Calvary. He won the victory. He spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it, the issue of his cross. He took away the authority and the power of the adversary. Come, to, come back to chapter 1 quickly, verse 13. At Calvary, through his cross, he won the right, verse 13, who hath 
delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He won the right to take you, verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. He won the right to take you out from under the power, the authority of the adversary. And to bring you into the kingdom of his dear son, into his program, into his plan, into his power. He won that right. He spoiled it. And he does it at Calvary. That's why it's the hinge. There was a door hung that was hung at Calvary. And that's where he is. Now come back to Ephesians 6 and we'll wrap up. So God's provisions here, I know the time of the season is such where you're thinking about deck the halls with balls of folly, ah, la, 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 la. I get that, okay? We may even sing some of those songs next week because I'm not going to, well, anyway. I got that, but man, don't miss what he did for you. The greatest miracle at this time of the year was not the birth of Christ. It was the conception of Christ. That was the greatest birth, the greatest miracle. Late December, Gabriel showed up to Mary and said, oh, you're it, tag. And Mary goes, say what? <laughs> Joseph goes, say what? Mary goes, yep, I'm it. Nine months later, mid, mid to late September, the Lord's born. Boy, the great, and you know what he did? He became man and he dwelt among us. And he went and he did what the father needed done. Not my will, but thy will be done. He became obedient under the cross, the cross of the of uh, the cross of Calvary, and he died. And the Father says, "Up from the grave you arose. You're mine. Victory." He comes in and he establishes that little flock. They go off. In Peter looks at him in Acts two and he says, "You by wicked hands crucified the Savior." Not a good thing. Meanwhile, the father and the son are sitting there going, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> okay, let's go. Stop Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. Says, I got a hidden secret I've been keeping hid myself since before Genesis 1-1. And we're going to take that event, Calvary, and now we're going to make it for everybody. And the mediator between God and men is the man, Christ Jesus. And what did he do? He died. And he rose again the third day. He was buried and rose again the third day. And that's going to be the center figure of everything. I'm preaching next week's message, by the way. Now look at 6.10. And he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God because the devil's going to love you. No. At every step of the Lord's earthly ministry and then heavenly ministry, you know what he's been doing to the, to the adversary? Sticking him. Sticking him. Sticking him. Think about that thing in Colossians 2, openly triumphing over. Every day of grace, every day of the extension of the dispensation of grace is God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit taking a big old needle and just sticking it in the adversary's eye because he thought he had won 
and then he didn't think he won anymore. What's going to happen? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. There's a call to arms, folks, and it starts with being strong in his grace, being strong in the Lord, and in the glory, the plan of glory, his power, his might that he has. This great provision here, because the adversary is going to attack. And again, we saw the wiles. We saw the strategies. What I want you to see is your faith response based upon an intelligent understanding of what God is doing. That's what's going to give you the victory in the daily of day life. Not trying to accomplish it on my own. You'll never defeat the adversary. But yet we're in a program that's complete victory. It's already been done. So we're called to stand. He's given us the truth. He's given us the armor. We're going to look at that quickly of the pieces. And then he, you know what he just says? Just stand there. It's fascinating. He doesn't say wage the war. He just says stand there. Every piece of the armor, I shouldn't say every piece. All of the pieces but one are defensive in mechanism and in utility. There's only one that isn't, and that's the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. They all are face forward. Nothing covers your back end. Because what are you doing? Standing. The onslaught comes. If you get stuck in the back, that means you're a coward and you ran. We stand. We'll talk about all that. What I want you to see is the provisions that he made in his son for you in his son. Our dear and Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you accomplished at Calvary. We thank you for all that you accomplished through your son. And Lord, I just pray that we would think on these things and look into them and study them and make them a part of our daily thought process. that we're strong in you and in the power of your might. So then in the end, when the day, when day comes and life comes at us, that we can do our part in standing. We give you the praise and the glory and the honor. In your name we pray. Amen. All right.